you said, a lot of mompreneurs and entrepreneurs, we have an experience. And I always think back to crouching down in the corner after a fight, feeling disconnected, and honestly wondering, would this just be easier if I were a single mom? Because maintaining, taking care of this baby, taking care of myself, and taking care of my relationship, it just feels like so much. And what I personally realized was that everything had transitioned so quickly, like our own brains had not had time to keep up with it, to process what had changed, and therefore to communicate with each other. Like we were unable to have good, clear communication because there was just such a breakdown in how quickly things had changed and how our needs had shifted. Welcome to The Birth Experience with Labor Nurse Mama. Today's guest is Chelsea. She is a life and relationship coach who specializes in life after a baby. She helps new parents improve their communication, increase connection points, and grow personal and relational confidence so that they can have the foundation for the family they want. Join us as we talk about ways that you can stay connected in those early days of postpartum. Chelsea, I am so excited to have you with us here today and to talk about relationships after baby. I think this is something that is crucial. So welcome to the birth experience and thank you for coming today. Yes, thank you so much, Trish. I am really excited to get started. However, I always ask all of my guests to tell me about their own birth experience. This is the birth experience with Labor Nurse Mama. And I find that most of my guests and my mompreneurs, my moms who are passionate about educating other mothers, usually their birth experience played a role in what they do now. So I wanted to hear about yours really quickly and how that plays a role in your life now? Yeah, I have two children. My oldest just turned six, and I have one that will turn four this fall. And when we got pregnant with our first, we actually were moved, we were living across the country and decided to come back to where our family was to have him and uprooted our lives and our jobs and everything was in limbo at that time. But I had not really had a lot of engagement in the birth world at that point. Now I will say, I have to credit my mother who this story comes up often, but she literally recorded her vaginal births and we would watch them on our birthdays. So we were very well acquainted. (laughs) I am. I love this so much. Way to go mom. Yeah. We were very acquainted and I was in the room with her actually when she delivered both of my younger sisters. So I would have been six and eight in the birthing room with her at that time. And again, like there were no questions asked because we saw it all on video replay on our (laughs) birthdays. I have one sister who doesn't have any kids and she might say, that's why, that is why I don't have children and I never will. But you know what? I think that is how birth affects every one, no matter where it is you see it for the first time. It either draws you in and you think it's amazing and beautiful and you can't wait to do it, or you're like, hell no. <laughs> yeah, so that was probably my earliest birth seed planted. 
And then uh, right after, right before I got married, I actually lived with a family during the process of them having their, having a child. So I got to see the pregnancy process with them. I was their roommate and was there when she actually, I wasn't there for the home birth, but she had a home birth and some of the women in that community. So they were about six or seven years, I would say like ahead of me and my life journey. So that planted that seed for me where I for the first time even saw that there was an alternative birthing option. So I actually did opt for a home birth for my first child. And that was a very overall positive experience. I identify with wanting to have control over factors that I know are helpful for me and make me feel good. I will say I probably had a little fear of like hospital and industrial birth culture after doing a little research, but we did, we studied the Bradley method. My husband was like the best birthing partner. I had a midwife and she had an apprentice at the time who acted as my doula and my mother there. And I labored at home. I birthed in the pool as the sun was rising. He was born at 6.36 a.m. So it was like, I remember (laughs) thinking like the sun is rising. It's so beautiful. And I am growling like a lion right now and the whole neighborhood is waking up to this I'm sure nice (laughs) so it sounds so beautiful though like that that's how birth should be it should be like that and I truly believe that if you're empowered in your rights that it can also be that way to an extent in the hospital yes So my second daughter, we were planning a home birth again. She was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect in utero. So we found that out at 20 weeks and had to make a switch by the guidance of our cardiology team to make a switch to a hospital birth. It was very intentional about the provider that I chose. And I was very, at this point, I think, educated on what I wanted and Whether they loved it or not, I came in with questions and with pushback when I felt like it was appropriate or just not coercing to every step. And so that was a very different birthing experience for me. I was was in a teaching hospital and I did not want people to flood my room and they did. And that was a very frustrating part for me. But Wait, did uh, you tell them you didn't want students? I had told my midwife team I did not want students in there. The doctors... And they did it anyway? No, yes. There were a couple of things that there were still some things that were done after it was not respected. Oh, I know my students who are listening right now are like, oh shoot, Trish is about to go off. But Trish is not about to go off because we're going to talk about something else today. However... Oh, this is so frustrating to me and it's so unacceptable. And this is why I'm so passionate about what I do and why the birth culture needs to change. It has to change. And it's going to start with us speaking up, us insisting, and reporting. Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot that came out of that in just One, I was very glad for all the education and advocacy I did have. I was able to deliver how I wanted. I did not have any interventions pushed on me or basically even offered to me because I had been very strong about that. But there were still a couple of things that people who weren't part of my planning team 
just let happen differently. And I'm sure that the people who came into your room who weren't invited that were part of that learning process probably don't see birth like that very often. Mm -hmm. So I'm we're going to say <laughs> that the good that came out of that is that they saw that women are capable. Okay, wait a minute. This is very profound. Women are capable of giving birth without interventions. Can you believe it? <laughs> Yeah. And they don't see that very often. They really don't. In fact, I have, because I do travel nursing, I did travel nursing, and I've worked at facilities that very rarely see unmedicated birth. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like, it's it crazy to me. Yeah. It my mind. Anyway, so <laughs> today, our, so tell me briefly, do you feel like your own birth experiences, do you feel like your, it sounds to me like you were raised in a very birth friendly and because I, I was too, that birth is just a natural process, breastfeeding, taking your baby with you where you go, they're a part of your life, like your life should not like drastically change in all ways. Birthing and babies was just a huge part of my upbringing and it sounds like it was the same for you and I feel like I want to meet your mom because I feel like she was way ahead of the curve. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've told her that. Now I need to. <laughs> yes, I think you do because I've been a labor and delivery nurse for a long time and I could probably count on one hand how many births that I've seen in the hospital. And it sounds like hers was in the hospital, correct? I can count on one hand how many times I've seen older children in the birth room. And that's how it used to be, you guys. That's how we learned about birth. That's how it became normal. And I really feel that to some extent, a child being able to see a birth where it's not chaos, it's not out of control, which nine times out of 10, it's not. Unmedicated, and I'm talking about unmedicated intervention-free birth at this point. But I believe that when a child is able to see that, they're not going to fear the unknown, you know, because some people listening are probably, hell no. But I totally. think your mom was way ahead of her time yeah. to do that. Yeah. So that's really awesome. Anyway, we could go off on that. And maybe we should have your mom on the podcast to talk about her birth experiences. Yeah, it would be fun, I'm sure. So today, what I want to talk about is becoming a new parent because we both know that becoming a new parent is life-changing. And obviously you have this brand new little person that you're caring for, but I think we can know that like intellectually, like we can know that up here. Okay. My life is going to change. It's not going to be the same, but today I want to talk about becoming a new parent, how that is life-changing, because I think that what I see with my students and my followers and probably with myself was that we know that intellectually, but really knowing it is and experiencing it is completely different because your life will change and your relationship with your partner will change. So I wanted to talk to you today about ways that we can stay emotionally and mentally intimate in those intense, sleep-deprived early days of postpartum. And I loved when you suggested this topic because I think it's something that a lot of new parents don't prepare for. I think we prepare for the birth and we prepare for taking care of our perineum and we prepare for taking care of our baby, 
but we forget about taking care of our relationships. So I'm so excited to get started. I'm just going to let you have a free-for-all and just tell us how can my new mamas prepare for this intentionally? Yeah, awesome. I will just say that my own experience really is what led to me becoming super passionate about this. Like you said, a lot of mompreneurs and entrepreneurs, we have an experience. And I always think back to crouching down in the corner after a fight, feeling disconnected and honestly wondering, would this just be easier if I were a single mom? Because maintaining, taking care of this baby, taking care of myself and taking care of my relationship, it just feels like so much. And what I personally realized was that everything had transitioned so quickly, like our own brains had not had time to keep up with it, to process what had changed and therefore to communicate with each other. Like we were unable to have good, clear communication because there was just such a breakdown in how quickly things had changed and how our needs had shifted. And so that really is the foundation for why this is so important to me. And I think there's two things to think about here. One, you probably have some listeners. We probably have some people who are in pregnancy right now. And we probably have some people who are already parents and they've already crossed that that bridge of bringing home a new baby and feeling some of the changes that are maybe impacting their relationship. I know that you talk a lot about birth prep and postpartum prep and just all of these things. And what we know is that the more we can do proactively, the better. And that's not to say all is lost once you cross that bridge. But for those people who are in a place where you have some proactive availability here, it really comes down to having some of these really important conversations. And these conversations aren't what color do we want to paint the nursery. No disrespect for the nursery. You can enjoy that. You can love that. But there's a couple key things that I find couples aren't aligned with. And one where we start is what was your upbringing and experience? I tell you, this was just a couple of years ago where I looked at my husband and I said, oh my gosh, I never realized my lived experience and my perception of normal is just mine. And that is not the same thing that's going through anyone else's brain. That's not what's going through your brain when I'm like, could we just do this normally? Or obviously this would be the next step. It's not obvious because we had two very different lived experiences. And so whether you are pregnant or whether you are already postpartum and parenting together, a really important conversation is to say, what was this experience like for you? What do you have in your head as normal and as expectations? And I know we're talking about intimacy, but I start with this because the foundation of intimacy is being able to communicate, is being able to connect, is being able to be on the same team. So having well, so- and I, I do say like intimacy and in those ways is important, but I think that for some couples and a lot of new parents, I think just getting through those that period is also really important. And I think for me personally, because I'm newly married, I've been married two years to my husband and we have a super healthy relationship, which is new for me. And so I think just knowing that he's on my team and remembering that is so important. So I think that I feel like that's got, I haven't gone through postpartum with a supportive partner. So I also want to keep that in mind that, and I know because 
I meet with my students weekly. We have what we call a happy hour. And my girls are, yesterday we stayed on an extra hour just talking about life. And so they are near and dear to my heart. So I know their lives and I know not all of them have a supportive partner. So I think that would be something I would love for you to maybe bring into this conversation for the new moms who do not have a supportive partner as well. Yeah. So I think that even the ability to have any kind of intimate connection, and sometimes we think of intimacy as like just all these warm fuzzies and rainbows and flowers. But when I talk about this, and especially thinking about mental intimacy and emotional intimacy, a lot of this is just openness. It is connection with another human. It is being able to communicate and learn and grow together. And so a lot of this is that foundational piece. I find that sometimes partners specifically, and I think we're on a journey of changing this, but as much as women don't have a lot of information about their own bodies and their own changes and the things that are coming, and we have misconceptions, like we mentioned earlier, yeah, it'll be a change. Okay, cool. Our When we have male partners specifically, they have even less most of the time, less information, less uh, expectations that are realistic and and less to work with. And they're often less invited or less encouraged to show any kind of vulnerability or emotional openness. And so I think this is where we can have a really difficult time and where we had mentioned survival mode, like some of those early weeks are just survival mode. Our intimacy might be defined as, I know I'm not alone. I know that there's another human showing up in this with me, which comes, in my opinion, from communication, from communicating more than ever. Like sometimes people will be like, are you serious? Do we really need to talk about all these things and communicate this often and this clearly? But my answer is yes, we have to be able to establish that teamwork before we can have any kind of deeper, vulnerable connection. I love that. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking about the fact that a lot of us were raised by parents and mothers in particularly who were taught to just suck it up and move on and not talk about what they were really going through. And I feel like For us as children of those parents, and talking again about male-specific partners, they may not have been exposed to what their moms particularly went through or how their moms felt, more importantly, during those first days as a new parent. Because I know I had my oldest when I was a lot younger and then my youngest when I was older, and the drastic change of what we knew And the really big change was being allowed to not be okay and to feel what you're feeling. So I think that when I'm listening to you talking about like the communication and the expectations and being able to tell your partner, I think that's really important to remember is that they might not have any clue what you're going through unless you tell them. And there's a couple conversation pieces I want to put in here as some really tangible things to work with. Um, One thing, a pattern that I see a lot of couples get into is someone will share, 
And then male partner typically will want to fix it. And then moms, now I don't feel seen. Now I don't feel validated. Like you're just trying to fix it. And male partners like, listen, this is what I can do. Isn't this what I have to offer? Just fixing this for you. So I often teach my parents to set up conversations intentionally. So this might be, hey, I don't want you to fix this. I just need to be heard right now. Or I don't think there's a solution for this. I just need you to hear how I'm feeling and to validate that and to recognize that. I think that's one way that I see a lot of couples break down the barriers and be able to be emotionally intimate and be emotionally connected is in just saying some of this is new and hard and can how can we not fix each other but validate and see and hear each other. Do you do you suggest a plan for how to communicate when you feel like the other partner isn't meeting your expectation during these new days of caring for a little person? Because that's one thing I hear a lot from my students mm-hmm. is that there's two sides to that. They feel like their partner isn't helping enough. And then I'm like, have you asked? <laughs> So I like to talk as much as possible about proactive communication versus reactive communication. And I say that with a disclaimer that sometimes you can't put something on the schedule and talk about it later and have this well thought through. Some things are just in the moment. But if we can increase the amount of communication that is proactive and reduce the reaction, emotionally driven, in the moment kind of communication. I also see this playing a huge impact. So I personally teach my clients to have a business meeting frequently. So this might be weekly, this might be 30 minutes in the morning. But the way I like to have people think about this is like, you have a project. Your home and your baby are a project. And if you were at work, for example, doing this project with a coworker, You wouldn't just wait until all hell is broken loose to figure out and hash it out and it be very emotionally driven. Obviously, there are things you have to figure out on the fly. But what you're going to do is you're going to lay out the expectations. You're going to figure out where does each person's strengths lie and what can they take the lead on. You're going to establish what's our time frame? What do we have to work with here? And so I work my couples through doing something very similar as far as here are the things that need to be done. How can we lay out the expectations for who's taking care of? What do we do if something goes off the rails? How can we proactively communicate those needs? And the example you gave was perfect because I hear this a lot too, where a mom will be like, you know what? I just blew my fuse. He's not helping. He's not taking care of this. I feel like I'm doing everything. And that becomes usually a conversation that causes some dissonance between the two because someone's feeling like their needs are unmet. Partners feeling attacked and probably turns defensive. We get defensive back, like this kind of ping pongs back and forth. But if we're able to say, okay, we're a team. Here are the things that need to be done. How are we going to do this week? Then I find that to not only minimize resentment and that just disconnect. And you can understand yeah. what I'm saying. That yeah. like boiling inside of your right. soul. Do you, oh, sorry, go ahead. And just lay the things out that you can. I always say, take care of what you can take care of ahead of time. Other Mm -hmm. things will pop up, yes. But if you can take care of this now, do it. Do you teach your clients during the prenatal period to deal with the obvious, like diapering and feeding and 
having visitors and things like that. Because I feel like one of the things that I see a lot with my students that is a struggle with their partner for the first time is who can come over now. Mm -hmm. So I, and I think that can cause a lot of distance between the partners if they don't agree on those boundaries. Yes, totally. So I think you hit some really important things. And I would say that the visitor boundaries is probably the number one thing that I would say, if you don't figure anything else out, this is what you want to figure out. And to make it like it's a digging down process, I think. I always use the word because with my clients. So let's start with because I'm afraid it's going to be a really vulnerable time. I don't want your dad to be sitting on the couch for four hours a day because when I'm vulnerable, I feel exposed and I don't feel confident. Like that goes into that because I want to have time to connect with the baby and not be, have a higher risk for postpartum depression because I'm not getting sleep because I'm hosting people. Let's figure out all of these parts of the puzzle. I find that helps both partners be on the same page instead of just, I don't want your family over. We've got to, we've got to <laughs> yeah. get to the meat of what's happening here and what the possible benefit can be to establishing those boundaries. And this may not be a universal truth, but I tend to teach people like, I'm going to be the communication person to my family and you're going to be the communication person to your family unless there's a big reason why that's not the best scenario. But I've always tasked my husband and I task the partners that I work with being that point keeper or maybe gatekeeper is what I want to say for their own families. And again, being able to give a meatier response to why they're making a decision. I don't think there's any right and wrong decisions in parenting and in your relationship if you know the meat to why you're making the decision. I I think that's so great. And I love this because it's so much easier if we say why we feel the choices we want to make. I find that a lot, especially now with my husband, because we have a really healthy communication life. Really, I'm going to credit that to him. He is a good communicator. But a lot of times what I think The reason he's doing something, I am so dead wrong, and that has been a game changer for me to stop my own process in my brain and say, okay, let me find out why. And I love that you said, because I don't, I I want, I'll feel vulnerable with your dad sitting here. I had a student recently on our weekly happy hour, because I meet with my students weekly, And she was talking, they were talking about this ahead of time. And I was like, wow, you guys are on it. Good job. And she said that she was very comfortable with having her mom over during those first few weeks, but she was not comfortable with anyone else coming over because she didn't want to have her breast out or she didn't want to have like pads and feel like she's in a diaper and just feel vulnerable. And that was really new for me because like I said, I was raised in a very birth-friendly, open, from the time I I was an aunt before I was born. So I saw boobs out, babies being breastfed, the realities of postpartum. And so I was never uncomfortable with all of those things around other people. So I personally wasn't able to comprehend, wow. So I thought, wow, of course a partner might not be able to comprehend that. And my first thought was, 
He may be thinking that's against my family. This is because it's my family versus your family when it's really not the case. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I will just say in here, in case anyone's experiencing this, I see this being a really big thing if people are coming from two different cultures. So that's why I really emphasize talking about what your upbringing, what your your family unit, your cultural experience, how do you perceive pregnancy, birth, and postpartum based on that so that you can be making decisions together, knowing that that there might be different expectations. If your mother-in-law comes from a culture where you're, you stay with the family for the first six weeks, then that's going to be a lot of proactive conversations. For you way to find ahead of time. <laughs> an arrangement. Yes. Yes. Like, way ahead of time. I started talking to brand new married couples and I'm like, if you think you're ever going to have kids, like how about you just start talking about the cultural <laughs> and familial implications? Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't, that doesn't hurt at all. And I think that, like you said initially, All of this plays into intimacy because when you're not on the same page and you're harboring resentment or bitterness or miscommunication, it's very difficult to be intimate with your partner. And I don't, you know, obviously at this part of postpartum, like intimacy in a sexual way is not even on the radar. And it's okay if it's not, ladies, that's when you're ready. But intimacy is so much more. And I think knowing that it's, I try to emphasize this to my mamas all the time, that this is your baby. You two made this baby. And whether you make the wrong choices or not, that's your deal. And so when you begin to set up boundaries and you begin to plan for your postpartum period, no one has to agree with you. That was their postpartum period. And if they let everyone come over, that's fine. If you two choose for this, that's your choice. And I think remembering that, that And you don't, because what I see with a lot of my students is that they're worried they're going to offend someone or worried they're going to make the wrong decision. And I think what you're doing and coaching them to come together as a team, because when you have a partner and a teammate in whatever you're doing, whether it's business, parenting, whatever, when you're in agreement and you know why you're making the choices you're making, it's a lot easier to enforce those boundaries. Totally. I love how you said that. And so another thing that I teach my clients is to identify their top three to five family values and use that to make decisions together. And you had mentioned like when we make a decision together, and I think that's so important that I find most of the time mom doesn't want to make the decision all by herself or dad or other partner doesn't want to make the decision all by themselves because then that carries the weight of what if this is wrong? What if I chose baby led weaning and then that doesn't work out well? Or what if I chose to supplement with formula? Whatever it is, we need the confidence of having someone on our team whether things go the way we picture them or not. So this is where I talk about this like almost over communication. It's so much communication and talking about the things that you need to make decisions on or the things that are coming in the next season, which with a newborn is like maybe tomorrow or next week. It's always a new season. There's so many new things happening at once. 
Oh, newborn, my foot. It's even teenagers. <laughs> Never oh, changes okay. in parenting. <laughs> Never changes. Sorry. It is yeah. always changing. I tell my I, I tell my pregnant mamas all the time because pregnancy is so unexpected. You might go in and find out, oh, this is going on. Or in your case, you found out there was a cardiac issue. Like parenting is always evolving. <laughs> and it never changes, even when they're 30. <laughs> We are getting ready to have another five days to a fearless birth experience. We do this every couple months around here on Labor Nurse Mama. All the real talk, tools, and education you need to feel empowered, confident, and ready to step into your birth experience with a peace of mind. No more fearing the unknown. We're going to start the process of getting you educated with five days of five birth-changing trainings, plus a bonus VBAC workshop. Click the link in the show notes or go to labornursemama.com forward slash fearless. Yeah, and I think that a part of intimacy and partnership here is that you are changing tremendously and your partner is changing tremendously in this season. And we all deal with that change very differently. Stereotypically, and this is not for everyone, this doesn't describe everyone, but like as mom, I might be changing very outwardly, emotionally, expressionist. And I find a lot of partners, not all, but they change and they become maybe a little bit more reserved or standoff, or they're not sure how to engage because they're not sure how their role has changed or how their perception of self has changed. They've socially changed all of these aspects. So this is where I didn't plan on going here, but I think the really there's a really important piece of we are a team and we're doing this together and we are making room for each of our individual growth and our individual changes. Your priorities are going to change. Your values are going to change. Your love language might change in the way that you experience intimacy and connection and the same for your partner. So I think that it's so important for us to recognize and continue to check in because of this wide evolution we're both going through as individuals as we stay on the same team to raise a mm -hmm. tiny human. Love that. And don't, I love when we go rogue on topic. So don't worry about that. <laughs> as you were talking, something came into my mind that I really would love to hear your opinion on is I think the reason that this popped in my mind was one of my students again on happy hour. She was talking about the grieving process of her old life. And I've seen a few times as I've spent more time with people on this side of the labor room, because typically I would labor them and send them to postpartum and that's that. But now I spend a lot of time with mamas. And one thing that I've been seeing, what do you recommend for couples who maybe one partner is absolutely embracing this new life as a parent and not having the alone time or the going out with friends times or drinking or all these things they used to do together as a couple where the other one might be grieving the loss of that old life. Like how do they navigate that when and honor each person's yeah, experience? So two things. One, as much as I want my couples to be a team, 
I don't want your partner to be the only person that you turn to and that you get fulfillment from. Those are huge shoes to fill and becoming parents, sometimes we maybe we turn inward or we lose some social connections or our friendships change. But this is where I, I truly believe it's so important that we have other spaces, whether it's a group, whether it's a therapist, whether it's being really intentional about making a new friend that you can have these conversations with. Don't make yourself responsible for your partner's healing journey. Be there with them and expect them to show up for you as well. But don't be solely responsible because that's such a huge load to carry. And then secondly, like this kind of comes into me teaching business meetings and proactive communication is that if one of you, your needs are maybe more in the home, like maybe it's just some quiet time with a book or something and your partner still wants to go out for happy hour, then let's build this into the schedule. Let's respect and anticipate each person's needs, but not blindside each other. Or before baby, you can be like, hey babe, I think I'm going to stick around after work tonight. And you'll be like, okay, cool. I'll just turn on my favorite Netflix or I'll go out with the girls. And now I think it's a much more respectable place to say, Tuesday nights, I'm with the baby. You can go to the spa. You can go to the other room and read a book. Like whatever it is that you need, you get to fill your bucket that night. Thursday night, I won't expect you to be home after work. That's your night to go hang out, do your thing. If you want to be social or go golf or whatever, that's your time. And I know that we can't always really perfectly schedule that. I'm not trying to be realistic, but I think that most of the tension comes from feeling blindsided and feeling maybe like your needs aren't being respected or somebody else's needs. It's this constant, like who gets the free time and who gets to do filling their own bucket. You can, as the weeks go on and baby's needs change and supports change, the more that you can build in just a space, a bucket filling space for each of you. I find that both people are able to show up to the table as a better, happier, healthier person. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's so important. And also, I love that you said you're not like being completely realistic here, because I think flexibility is also a part of that, because maybe you've agreed to your partner's going to go with his friends for happy hour on Thursdays. But maybe this Thursday was a really hard day for you. And so you also agree that you can say, push the panic button and say, I need help. And I think having flexibility and these these conversations ahead of times and these ongoing, I love how you said like a daily business meeting is important. And I think another thing before we wrap up, One thing I wanted to ask your opinion about, because I was stalking your blog, which is, go ahead and share with everyone where they can find you real quick, and then I'll share what I was stalking. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. You'll have to tell me, which blog were you on? It was the, what the... Okay. Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. I actually started my business with a different blog name and a different business name, so I still Which one do you want to promote here? WTF. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, perfect. So I am at the WTF trimester. That is my main Instagram handle. That is my website. That is what I leave peanut pods under, which really was birthed out of this. Like, I love the fourth trimester and all of the support that's built in around the fourth trimester. This is where you're usually 
connecting with sleep and feeding and there's postpartum doulas and all of that. But for me personally, it was like the fog started to lift and I was like, where are my friends? Like, where's the food? Where's the resources? Where's the fun? Like what the F is happening in my relationship and who am I? It felt like the fog lifted and all the supports were gone. And I was like a deer Uh in headlights. Like my life has changed. Mm -hmm. I don't even know who I am and who my partner is and how we do this thing together. So that's where I really started to hone in on four to 24 months after baby. That's where most of my clients lie and my small groups focus on that because I think that it's such a cool time to rebuild yourself intentionally and get to know who you are and who you want to be as you lead as a woman and a partner and a mom throughout the rest of your life. Yeah. And I love that because it may not be who you thought you might want to be. I think that's the biggest change that I've seen for myself in motherhood is that who I thought I wanted to be is it's a completely different beast now. But the one thing, so I was stalking your your blog and reading, uh, looking at some of your podcasts and One thing I saw that stuck out to me because I had a guest the very first week I started recording for the podcast and she talked about accepting imperfect help. And I thought this was a good thing to end this partner relationship focused podcast is that one thing I never learned until I did that podcast was I was setting really unrealistic expectations for my partner and for my children when it came to helping me around the house or helping me with the new baby. So I love that you're nodding your head and you know exactly what I'm talking about because I think this is something really important that new moms need to be aware of. Yeah. And I say this with, I always talk about this is a gentle, firm hug and a little bit of shaking your shoulders at the end, (laughs) which is, (laughs) yes. if you want more help, you've got to let go of some of the control, right? Our partner needs to have their own experience of parenthood too. And we can figure out like this has to be done a certain way for safety, for wellness. Like there are really important decisions to make around that. But 99% of the things that are going on, it doesn't actually matter how it's done. And it might irk us and we might not Mm -hmm. like how our partner does something, but if we want them to help, we have to accept them in their way of doing things and figure out like there's so much, it's such a lighter way to walk and live when you're able to say, okay, I don't have to control all of these things. These can be done a little bit differently. And that was birthed out of just me talking to partners because I sometimes work with couples together. So I'll meet with mom one week dad the other week and then meet with them together on the same topic. And something that just blew my mind was hearing, I want to help more, but I never do it right. Or she always mm-hmm. tells me that I did this wrong or this wrong. I don't or like shows me like how that. to do it the right way. Yes. And I love that you said it's like giving her a, a nice hug and then shaking her at the end because I'm, and I'm saying this with all love as well to all of my mamas listening. I wish that I had known this, not only for my partner's sake, But for my children, because when it got to me teaching them chores and doing things around the house, I really tend to lead to, oh, wait a minute, let's do this the right way. And there's a fine line between, like she said, with safety and wellness 
And hopefully you and your partner have educated yourselves on these things together so you both know them. But when it comes to swaddling or it comes to holding, as long as the baby's being held safely or what have you, then it's okay. They're going to do it a different way. And I think that, again, goes right back to what you started this with and talking about the culture they were raised in, the family they were raised in, and maybe his or her, your partner, whether they're male or female, their mom carried their baby around this way. And just being okay with that will give you rest. Yes. It'll give you rest and it gives your partner the confidence to show up with you, which builds teamwork, which builds initiative, which builds intimacy. Like they want to feel included and they want to have leadership and ownership and confidence as well. And that truly benefits everyone. And I think that I'm just sitting here thinking when we try to control every aspect of the baby and how the baby's cared for and what is done, it tells our partner in silent ways, this is our baby. So then that leads into other difficulties that you can have. One thing that I remember always being so frustrated with was, why do I have to ask for someone to watch the baby? And I think when we like care for the baby jointly and make decisions for the baby jointly and do it our own way in the ways that don't, the things that don't matter, I think it gives us both ownership over the decisions made for that baby, like babysitting. (laughs) So then your partner might say, hey, babe, I want to go out tonight. Can you watch the baby? (laughs) Instead of you always having to be that one. Yeah. So we just went off on weird tangents, but that's okay. No problem. Thank you so much for coming today. I'd love for you just to share really quick some of the resources that you offer new parents and how they can access that. Because you've been saying that you meet with moms and you meet with dads. So is that virtually or is that in person? How does that work? Yeah. So I offer virtual groups called Motherhood Uncovered, which is a small group of women in that four to 24 month age range, where we really are going thematically each week into we talk about things like this was your upbringing and this is what built your perception of motherhood. This is how maybe your love language and your emotional needs have changed. Here's how we communicate that with our partner. Like we're really peeling back the layers and figuring out who we are at the core as moms in that space. And then I do also offer couples coaching where, like I mentioned, I will meet with partner one, partner two, and then meet with them together on the same topics. And I find this to almost be like that mediation where most of the time partners want to have that cohesiveness. They want to have respect. They want to have good communication, but they're coming from two different places or they're talking with two different dialects that they've formed. So I really help them to get on the same page and use different strategies and insights to connect them and build that teamwork and figure out how to move forward from that. Um, Most services are all online. And if you happen to have anyone in the central Ohio area, we're actually about to, we're buying a house right now that has a small event space. So hopefully early 2023, I'll get to start running some in-person groups too. 
Oh, I love that. What is in-person? Do we even know what in-person means anymore? Do you mean like actually in the same room? It's been so long. I'm so glad to have you here. And I'll be sure to link to those resources in the show notes and on the blog. So thank you so much for coming today. Thank you, Trish. It's so good to hear all the good that you're putting out and just to spend time with you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Birth Experience with Labor Nurse Mama. I had such an incredible time talking to Chelsea about ways that new parents can prepare for the changes of parenthood. Being prepared makes all the difference in the world. If you loved this episode, hit subscribe and please take a minute to write a review. We so appreciate it when you do. Have a fantastic week and we'll see you again next Friday. Bye for now.